following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number four of the Stuck Mike Avcast with your host, Len Costa. On the call with me tonight is Carl Valeri, Rick Felty, and our resident sassy redhead has joined us this evening, Victoria Nouvel. Glad to have you on board tonight, Victoria. Ah, thank you. I thought you were talking about me, but then I remember that I don't, I don't have red hair. <laughs> Are you as sassy as me? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Not. Well, I don't know because we don't know each other, but uh, I, I would suspect not. <laughs> I, I tend to play things safe. Um, so, anyway. But it's great to great to be uh, doing another show. We're, we're keeping keeping a good pace here, guys. Let's do the pre-flight. So we have we've got a few topics to cover this evening. Victoria just uh, came off of about a, a week or so of dedicated flight time to in pursuing her commercial pilot certificate. So we were going to get uh, get to hear a little bit about what's going on and how she achieved that. And uh, then we wanted to. We want to hit on some topics this week that were kind of pertinent to what's going on right now. Um, Weather-wise, we're going to have a pretty, I'd say, a pretty decent conversation on thunderstorms and summer flying. Now entering cruise flight. Victoria, we understand that you just uh, finished your commercial pilot certificate. Once again, congratulations. Thank you. And um, tell us a little bit about, uh, I know this has been actually a long project for you, something that you've been yearning to complete for quite some time, and there's been some hurdles and obstacles, but uh, you finally were able to find some time to dedicate towards uh, getting it complete just recently. So uh, tell us a little bit about how that went. Okay, well, um, pretty much a little bit of the background was I had been trying for six years, and um, last year I got a grant so I could do it, and I was going about twice a week to the airport to work towards my uh, certificate. And um, when I was almost checkride ready, I was probably going to take my checkride in about two to three weeks, I had a retinal detachment, which caused me to lose my medical. <laughs> Once all that was taken care of, um, I moved. And uh, so, you know, life always got in the way. And I decided that the best way to finally finish this was to dedicate you know, a couple of weeks fully to flying. Don't let work, friends, family, whatever, get in the way. Mm-hmm. Just concentrate um, 100% on the task at hand. So uh, pretty much I took off two weeks and headed back up to Michigan in my home base and um, got an instructor on a daily rate. So he was mine all day. I even had lunch with him, had dinner with him. Mm-hmm. And we did ground during lunch and dinner. So, you know, I, I'm pretty sick of airplanes by now. <laughs> but um, the best, I, I think it's a good option for people who are trying to finish up and just can't ever seem to get it done. I had the basic understanding of the maneuvers. I had all the minimums done. It was just a matter of polishing things up and getting to um, the practical standards. 
And uh, what I learned was that the commercial isn't really about, you know, doing these high-performance maneuvers, you know, getting into plus or minus 50 feet, even though that's what the practical test standard says. It's actually um, the DE is looking to make sure you are competent as a pilot and smooth. Mm -hmm. So when you're getting to these very um, slow speeds at a high angle of attack, he wants to make sure that you're always coordinated and aren't going to stall. And um, I think that's what I took the most from this training was just getting precise and coordinated. I called, I had rudder leg is what I call it. Um, I have never used rudder so much in my life, and I swear my right leg is larger than my left. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That, that makes sense, actually. It sounds very familiar to what I finally realized about just the basic uh, private pilot, you know, DE stuff, which is there's rules and there are there are standards, but it's also about are you safe? You know, how, how do you handle the plane? And they're looking for for an overall general approach. And in your case, this is precision, but it's not necessarily, you know, it's, it's an overall picture rather than hitting certain numbers precisely. Obviously, if you bust them enough, you bust them. But but it seemed to me a good DE is about the overall picture. That, that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, that was pretty much what was stressed in my training. You know, if you botched one, you kind of get a mulligan for the other if you have been smooth throughout your whole test. And um, I almost botched my Power Off 180 uh, spot landing because uh, it was so hot and my aircraft had no performance whatsoever. But, you know, he saw how good I did throughout the rest of the test that he said, you know, it's okay if you're a foot off or whatnot. Cool. Well, you know, I don't know much about the maneuvers, uh, and so I guess I'd ask a more general, maybe a general question. Is there sure. one that was harder for you or easier or any, any one in particular that stands out that you could describe in terms of what it is for people who don't know and why it was hard or why it challenged you or whatever? Sure. Um, I think the one that's hard for most people is called the Lazy 8, and they stress the lazy part of it because it is a slow maneuver. You almost want to shoot yourself that you're doing it so long. And um, it's basically, how would I describe it? You see a figure eight in the air, and you're slowly turning while slowly raising the nose and getting to a point where you're just above stall speed. Um, so you're, it's just a climbing and descending and turning maneuver throughout the whole thing. And you have to land um, on your same altitude when you begin and end. So there's so a the, lot of variables to watch out for. So the eight is sort of in the air at an angle, and you climb all the way through the eight. And as you return back down to where you started, you're at the same altitude you were at. It's kind of yep, a climb up to one altitude. end of the eight and then a descent back down. And that point where the eight crosses is kind of the middle of the altitude range. Yeah, that, am I well, describing that right? Um. I don't want to bore you guys, but if no. you do it, you're, you're slowly turning. Uh -huh. And when you're at your 15-degree um, bank, you should be at your highest pitch. Okay. And so you're, you're climbing. And when you get to your um, most bank, you're going to be at the highest altitude possible. And okay. then you're going to start descending. Now, let's say that was all a right turn. Once you mm. get to your lower dis lowest descent and your back level, wings level, you're going to start turning to the left oh. slowly and climbing again. And Got once it. you get to your highest point, you're turning and keeping uh, descending again. Okay, that's a great description. I can picture it. Yes. That's cool. That's, yeah. 
That's tough. And you're never stopping throughout the whole maneuver. You're always doing never something with your stop. hands, your legs, and your and like you said, it can be painful for some people. You have to say, okay, here we go. Let's take it slow, because most people, I think, rush the lazy eight too much, and then they they overbank and they overcompensate and they miss their altitudes. And uh, yeah, that that's great though. That was a very good description, by the way. I, oh. I enjoyed that one. Thanks. I try. <laughs> um, I've got to say that when we were talking about, you know. Um, keeping coordinated with the rudder, that was the kind of like bam moment for me. I didn't understand the lazy eight. I knew it was slow, painstakingly slow, but I didn't realize at the top when you get to that slowest point, just above stall speed, it's actually your rudder that brings you back down again and you don't have to do much. You're relying on the plane to almost yaw and do that last chunk of the maneuver for you. So if anyone out there is working on their commercial, um, make sure you use a lot of rudder and let the rudder turn you, not your ailerons, when you get to that top point. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's cool. Excellent. So the um, so you're able to get through the certificate. How long did it end up taking? You said you took off two weeks, but uh, with weather or any other maybe well, complications, how, how, how long did you get through? I turned out to be very blessed. It was monsoon season pretty much the week before I came. Um, <laughs> the day I came, it was beautiful every single day. Well, actually, the first day I trained, it was gusting to 42 knots, and we were doing crosswind landings, pretty much uh, taking the airplane to uh, its testing limits. It was pretty crazy. But um, besides that, I couldn't have asked for better weather, and on the seventh day, I became a commercial pilot. Um, probably two to three flights a day, about two hour flights and some ground in the middle to prepare for the oral. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that would be about it. I don't think I spent less than eight hours at the airport in one day though. So it was a lot of, it did take a lot of time. Right. And you said that you went into it prepared. What level, what, what preparations did you take to be at uh, a ready level for such an intensive week long training? Well, I took my, um, I had an oral exam guide that I would read whenever I got the chance. Um, I hadn't performed the maneuvers in months, um, so I really had a lot of rust to knock off. I knew the maneuvers. I had the basic understanding of them, memorized what points you're supposed to be at, at what time in the maneuver. So um, as long as I think you have that basic understanding of what you're doing, if you can view it in your head right, you'll be able to do it in the aircraft right. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Victoria, I have another question for the. Um, would you be a proponent of people going away to some of these accelerated courses to finish up that type of a rating? I, I think you said that before in some words, but, you know, I've been discussing this with a few of my students saying, listen, either go away or just take a big chunk of time off and just bang this out uh, because I noticed that happens quite a bit. So I would say you, you would definitely suggest that, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of in between on that. Um, I've heard of, you know, people getting it done really quickly, but they end up having no experience. Yeah, they do the maneuvers and pass the test, but I don't know how much experience they come out of at those schools, though I've never been to one. I was prepared, and I had a lot of experience last year, but it was just at that point that I was never getting it done. So I think finishing up a rating in an accelerated course is a very good idea, but um, I think you need a more better background, maybe I could say, beforehand. I don't know if I do a whole entire rating in an accelerated course. 
And I, you know, I'd have to agree with that. the The great thing about accelerated courses is to finish your rating or get the rating done. Um, but if you if you look at that, like you said, you don't get it quite as much experience. I I do a few instrument ratings, and uh, one of the things that I always tell my students is we could get you done in a couple weeks and get your rating. But I want you to come back, and we'll do a lot more instructing because you really know enough to pass the exam, but you're not ready for that real world flying. And that's, uh, I think what you're alluding to there is you don't quite have that experience. Exactly. And you need to definitely get that experience. And uh, yeah, I'd have to agree with that. It's it's a catch-22, though. You're sitting there saying, okay, I need to get this done. And, and honestly, I've done that myself. I did that with my CFI and my MEI, or multi-engine instructor. And I uh, I just said, listen, I'm not getting it done. I got to go away. And I went and got it done. And then uh, I went up with an instructor afterwards and said, okay, mm -hmm. now teach me how to teach this. <laughs> you know, exactly. Now that I have the rating. <laughs> well, it's great but, that uh, you went back and, yeah. you know, asked for help even though you had the rating. Yeah. You know, well, I still do to that. this day. I mean, I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I've had, you know, a few thousand hours of instruction given, and I still get up with my, my uh, colleagues and say, hey, listen, you know, I want to go over this with you. And am I teaching this right, or do you have any other input? And that's... Uh, that shows you that even though you have your rating and you've had it for years and years, you still need to go out there and get more experience. Mm -hmm. So that's that old, you know, and this argument, the reason I'm bringing this up is this is something that's been, been going on in my life recently is that we've been discussing this quite a bit, you know, the chicken and the egg. So you get your rating first and then go out and get the experience or get the experience first, then get your rating. And uh, I've been a proponent of, you know, get the experience you need for the type of flying you're going to do, you know, that, that students themselves are going is going to do. And then get it done. But I think, but the other point is where you finished your, yours up in that that uh, really accelerated, quote unquote, course we can call it at the end there. I think that's a, a great idea, especially when you're doing such a performance-based check ride like you did with the uh, with the uh, commercial maneuvers. You know, it's a lot of hand hand eye coordination. Well, it really pushed me to do better than I have ever before because I had a time limit. I didn't get this done, I had to go back to, you know, where I live. You know, it's going to be hard to find another two weeks to go back. So it really, um, you know, there were no excuses. You know, I had to push myself and I had to get it done. So it gives you that type, too. If you give yourself a deadline, you might be willing to put more effort into it than you would if you didn't have a deadline. Well said. Yeah, it's a good point. Good point. Rick, any more questions? Um, no, I I think maybe just for everybody listening, uh, Victoria, what what ratings did you have going into this one? Just so everybody knows. Um, your... I just had my private and instrument. Okay, private instrument and, and okay, cool. Yeah. And how long have you uh, how long have you been flying for, Victoria? Um, I took my first flight at sixteen. Okay. But uh, then Daddy wouldn't give me money to keep going, <laughs> so um, you know Victoria earned her own way, and uh, I. Became a pilot in '05, I believe. Okay. So I've been flying about five or six years. All right, excellent. Actively. Very good. And for for those uh, for those of you out there, um, Victoria has an opportunity. Uh, a special person in her life has an aircraft that she does get to fly on occasion. So that's uh, that's one way she does keep current. Do you fly anything else besides um, your friend's airplane? Yep, I have um, uh, my work, uh, Aviation Insurance Resources, uh, is kind enough to give a plane to the employees just for the cost of gas. So mm -hmm. I take advantage of that whenever I can, too. So I feel spoiled that I actually have two aircraft that uh, I can use 
pretty much at my beck and call. <laughs> now, what kind of airplane do they uh, do they loan out? It's a Cessna 172. It's got a um, 180 conversion, though, so it climbs a little bit better than your average Cessna, mm -hmm. which is quite fun. And the other aircraft that you fly is? It's a glass there, so completely opposite of the Cessna. <laughs> and how have you enjoyed flying that com in comparison? Um, I think I've been spoiled because I'm a very little girl, and it's hard for me to um, pretty much get a Cessna off the ground on some days. You know, it's a heavy aircraft, so mm -hmm. the, the glass there, I just have to think, and it moves. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And it's fast, which is always nice. <laughs> cool. that's, that's the best part about it. Exactly. Awesome. Well, um, great. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad you finally had the opportunity to to work on that. I know since we first met a few months ago that you had talked about finally having the time and the chance to go and sit down and and, and do that. And so we're all happy and proud for you. Now, what, what are your plans going forward? Maybe not immediately, but do you intend to pursue any uh, additional certificates or ratings in the, in the future? Oh, yes. I'm, I'm one of those people who want to have, you know, every single rating imaginable. Mm -hmm. But um, I do eventually want to become a CFI. Um, I would love to instruct and there is no better time than now since I have those maneuvers down to a T. I just have to start doing them in the right seat and prepare for the oral portion. So um, I'm going to take a break for the rest of June. But I think after that, I might dive into the CFI. Excellent. So that's something that you intend to do maybe part time as, uh, you know, on the weekends to stay current and stay flying. Yep, exactly. I love people and I love to fly and, you know, I'm happy where I'm at right now. So I wouldn't be looking mm -hmm. for anything full time, but I would definitely enjoy to do it on the side. Yeah, it's a great experience. I'm sure Carl would agree that it's the best. Actually, the funniest thing is it's the best way to learn is to go and teach. Mm -hmm. And you'll become to that, so. <laughs> the most knowledgeable and most proficient you ever are during your CFI experience. It's kind of like when doctors and lawyers go into practice that, you know, they, they're starting out. It's the same thing. You, you know the basics, but you don't really completely and truly understand what you're doing until you've had a chance to teach it and teach it many times over and, and refine, I guess, the way that you can articulate how to maneuver this aircraft. So uh, you'll you'll actually learn a heck of a lot more once you start uh, once you start working as an instructor. It's it's quite a fun experience. Yeah, I agree. I've heard everyone's told me it's the most rewarding thing they've ever done, and uh, I look forward to the challenge of teaching different people who have different ways that they learn. You know, some are visual, some are mm -hmm. by the book. So I definitely give all the CFIs out their props. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, let's uh, let's move along. I've got some. We've you know we'd mentioned that due to the uh, the current time of year we're actually recording this, we're just starting to get into the summer seasons, and there's a lot going on with thunderstorms in the area. In fact, a few of us have been impacted by severe thunderstorms and tornado warnings, and we felt it was an interesting uh, discussion to have regarding you know flying around weather and how to navigate in the summer environment. So Carl wanted to basically lead the discussion and get us going about thunderstorms. Well, th thanks, Len. Yeah, there, there is. This has definitely been an active season, as we all know and have seen on on television. And for some of us who have uh, flown through some of this weather recently, um, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring up this about thunderstorms, uh, not just because we're going into that season, but 
because I had an interesting experience with a, a first officer I had mentioned before where uh, we were going through a line of storms and uh, penetrated a, 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 you know, a level four, level five, we weren't sure what. And uh, I noticed that the first officer really did not understand what was about to happen. So I said, mm-hmm. let's, let's, uh, let's review this. So what had happened to me, uh, just a, a quick background, is we were inside this storm and we were just started uh, – to climb, but as we were climbing, we went into an incredible updraft, and the VSI was pegged for over 6,000 feet per minute upwards, and I was pulling the nose up, and uh, just and I was at red line. I was going almost maximum speed the, the whole way up, and I kept pulling and pulling and pulling, knowing that the attitude of the aircraft, if I was in normal flight, I would actually be stalling at that point. Mm-hmm. I knew that Within a thunderstorm, there's a, a, normally a sudden downdraft afterwards. And I, I said, hey, if you see that airspeed indicator drop, then tell me. And that's what I did. Uh, that's what the first officer told me is, hey, listen, there goes the airspeed. And I actually had to shove the nose down to recover and pinch the nose quite far down. And uh, you know what this made me realize is that the person next to me looked at me and says, gee, I, you know, I wasn't expecting that. And, uh, you know, after we discussed this after the flight, so I said, oh, you know what, we, we need to talk a little bit about thunderstorms and understanding mainly how to avoid them and not get yourself into one like we did. Sometimes you don't have that option, but, uh, but really there's, there's a lot of times that we shouldn't be flying anywhere near these storms. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things I want, to, I'm going to share one of my scariest experiences with thunderstorms and weather, and I'd like to, you folks to think about that also. What, what was one of your scariest experiences? And, you know, I'd love to hear some reader mail about that. And, and also, uh, you know, what did you do and what did you learn from that? And what are you going to do differently so you don't get into that situation? But, uh, but just quickly, a, a quick review of thunderstorms. Just take a minute to, to look at what a thunderstorm is. It's like, you know, baking a cake. You know, we need to have some unstable air, some moisture, and some type of lifting action. And we sure have had a lot of that this year with our cold fronts coming through and the heat raising the air and, and causing these storms to build to tremendous levels. I mean, we're flying around storms that have, are going up to forty nine to 59,000 feet. It's like, wow, that is huge. And uh, some of the hazards associated with these thunderstorms, of course, we just talked about with tur- turbulence. And also hail, uh, icing. You know, we're in the summer months, but you know, if you, if you get into one of these thunderstorms, uh, then you're high enough, you will definitely get some icing and some severe icing, also. Mm-hmm. And also the reduction of the visibility on the on the ground and the wind shear. Um, and this is something where I think a lot of folks uh, don't realize is that it's not just the thunderstorm itself. It's what's around that thunderstorm. It's the gust fronts. It's the uh, the downdrafts and the wind shear that's produced. And a term that I think uh, that some folks haven't talked about a lot is this thing called a gust front. And this can happen. This is a, a, a from the outflow of a front or from a large severe thunderstorm. It's the outflow of air that can actually be up to 15 miles from that storm. And, uh, you know, I was on the, the ramp one day or on the, the taxiway and heard the controller say, hey, listen, we're shutting down the airport because we have a gust front coming through. And you're sitting there saying, wow, it's clear. But sure enough, boom, this wind came through that was came howling through. And that was the gust front. And sometimes when you look at a gust front, you can see like little rotor clouds. You know, and these are clouds that that where the turbulent air 
pushes up from the ground upwards and starts swirling. And you think it's going to be a tornado, but it's actually just a – that's the part of the gust front that's uh, swirling upwards. And you don't really want to fly anywhere near that. So as far as staying away from these storms, uh, yeah, when we're taking off and landing, we don't want to take off and land anywhere near uh, a storm or the gust front of that storm. But also that, you know, within that storm, some people think, and, and I've seen a lot of folks do this too, hey, I can, I can fly under it, it's clear underneath, and, and you're looking through, you say, oh, but that can be a sucker punch. Because when you're landing, and say that storm's over at the airport, you could have this great headwind, and you, know, you have great airspeed, and you're going down, you're, you're like, gosh, you know, I'm so slow, and I want to get trying to get to the airport, you know, I, I've got my ground speed slow, I have good airspeed, and then all of a sudden, bam, there's a huge downdraft, because now you're getting underneath that storm where there's a quite a bit of a downdraft, and actually, it can turn into a great headwind to no headwind to tailwind rather quickly. And those are the type of things that, that I want to discuss with people because obviously we don't want to get anywhere near a storm while we're flying inside a thunderstorm. Mm -hmm. uh, as a matter of fact, uh, severe turbulence has been recorded up to 20 miles away from thunderstorms laterally and thousands of feet above them. So that's why, you know, we've all of us have heard, you know, we should stay outside, you know, give good 20 miles away from these storms and uh, for our, our flying around them and also try not to fly between them because a lot of times they can come together and there it goes your you know you think you have 20 miles on one side 20 miles on the other you know 40 miles between the storms and you're going to be able to get through them mm -hmm. and no you can't and and you wind up uh, getting yourself into quite a bit of trouble uh as far as you know the other the, the biggest things for us as general aviation pilots is don't get near the thunderstorms i mean these truly are uh big uh natural events that just grind airplanes there's been quite a few uh instances of of structural failure of aircraft and uh, and wings even departing uh, the airplane from people that have actually gotten themselves in the storms, and uh, and have gotten you know themselves upside down and mm -hmm. and uh, and then pulled and pulled off a wing or or a control surface. But so that's that's the the basics of of thunderstorms and and uh, and avoidance. Of course, check your you know your sigmets and check your significant meteorological and your convective segments and uh, and see that um, look at those and say hey wait a minute is this in my area and uh, the problem with a segment that I have is that covers a very very large area right so of course I'm going to go look at the radar uh, but I I've always believed and this is the one of the most important takeaways from this is the person that to determine uh, what the weather is is you you have to look outside the cockpit and look at that storm and say to yourself, hey, that's a bad storm. I don't want to go near that. Because remember, those are building rather quickly. And if you're like me, you know, I have XM uh, weather on my airplane. And I look at a storm and I say, well, that's not too bad. But you have to understand that's maybe 15 minutes ago. Or it can be even older than that. It's like, oh, my gosh. You know, now I'm looking at it in front of me and it's really, really big. And uh, and some people that have radar know that there's some limitations to radar. So I'm a big believer in you know looking outside the airplane and flying around those storms, and also having you know some some tactics of getting around storms are just you know trying to plan your your routes many many miles away and don't ever be afraid to stop mm -hmm. and pull over. So uh, so that's that's my my intro to that. And then also uh, one of the things that I was going to add to that, and I'd like to hear from other folks what their scariest experience was with, with thunderstorms and, and possibly the tornadoes that do exist from these thunderstorms is, um, you know, one day I was out, and this wasn't, I wasn't in the airplane at the time, I was out on my boat, and 
I looked out and I said, wow, that's really neat. And what I saw is these four, look, they look like little fingers coming down towards the water. And I couldn't, and they were white. And I said to myself, that's amazing. And I realized there were four water spouts. Mm-hmm. And here I am oh. in my little, my little boat. I call my boat the tin mullet. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, no. You know, because after I get the excitement of that's amazing, I get the excitement of, oh, no, this is coming my way. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in a, in a boat, I can't outrun it. But in an airplane, this is when I was thinking to myself, gosh, I wish I was in an airplane. I can because in, in most airplanes, uh, you, you can outrun just about any storm, you know, unless you're in the, like an ultralight or something. That's really what I want people to realize is you really need to be cognizant of the thunderstorms. Don't, uh, don't look at the weather and say, okay, I'm good to go. Look at the weather using your eyeballs and do a lot of research mm-hmm. and know the systems in your area. Because, you know, in Florida, we have them pop up all over the place and we know they're going to they're gonna rain out and die. There, but... You know, if there's a cold front coming through, you're not getting through that line of storms there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. so Len, I guess, you know, I was, I was going to ask you or you folks just to tell me what, what you, your scariest experience was. And also, I'd like to, you know, you add to what I had to say there as far as thunderstorms and avoidance. Well, it's interesting. And actually, what you were just mentioning about not only, you know, you're the person in charge, the individual person in charge for checking the weather to determine what's going on in the area. I had a, this great segue. What happened yesterday is uh, we were out, um, we were out of town actually at a horse show, and you know it was outside and it was just hot and steamy yesterday, and you could see the storm clouds rolling around the area. I'm sitting there on my iPhone looking at four flight, going, okay, the storms are moving around us. Well starts to get and looking kind of nasty out in the distance and you can see these clouds um, they are they have a lot of actually build up coming down for them and look kind of scraggly almost like you sometimes see associated with some tornadic activity and I'm looking out looking over at the mm. mountains going saying to my girlfriend you know I, I'm not so keen on what I'm seeing out there. So I'm looking at my phone, and I'm checking out ForeFlight and Intellicast and some other weather, weather products on there. And sure enough, it doesn't say a whole heck of a lot on there. And the only thing is there's a major cell that was about somewhere north of us that had a lot of, uh, a lot of lightning activity in it. And so I'm looking at our current position and the way the storms are traveling, and it doesn't necessarily show anything heading towards us. But... What Carl said, look with your eyeballs. I'm looking at the clouds saying to myself, I am not comfortable with what it looks like out there. And probably within 15 minutes, they ended up telling everybody at this, uh, at this horse show, hey, there's a major storm coming. There's lightning inbound. Everybody go to your cars. Take, you know, take cover somewhere. Um, and it ended up being quite, and we were, we ended up uh, being in one of the um, one of the buildings there, and it was quite an impressive rain and lightning and thunder show. Um, but that, you know, it's exactly, you know, the same thing she asked me. She says, "Well, you said it looked really bad, and then you came back and said it wasn't." And I was like, "Well, I was in conflict here, you know. The weather products that I was looking at gave me the gave the illusion that it wasn't going to be as bad as I was instinctively noticing." looking outside where we were so um that's that that just happened yesterday so i'm glad you actually mentioned that it reminded me of the story but probably the most i don't know if it was the scariest but probably the closest experience i've ever come to with uh with with a tour or excuse me a thunderstorm activity while flying is when i had a multi-engine student down in southwest virginia we were out flying the seminole 
and we knew a storm was headed back to the airport. And I, th- I want to say I think we were being a little foolish potentially, and maybe trying to beat beat our, beat uh, the storm back to getting us getting into the airport before it hit. And when we were basically coming into the traffic pattern, it was pretty severe downpour, and we were on downwind, and lightning struck right in our immediate area and we just both looked at each other and were like holy crap that was way too close for comfort like all the hair on wow. your arms is standing up you know and you're just like man we we're getting on the ground now so we ended up uh landing and just sitting in the airplane and waiting out the rain and the storm uh but that's about the closest i've ever come to i've had a couple of experiences in the jet with wind shear where we had to go around one time uh, getting a wind shear warning uh, in the short approach landing configuration. We came around and we got it again, but this time we were in the flare and I wasn't flying at this point. The captain was flying and given the circumstances of the flight and the speed and where we were, a power idle already in the flare, getting the warning, still in a safe position to land because we weren't, you know, we weren't, hadn't, uh, hadn't been blown or drifted down the runway. He elected to land. I think it was also a good decision at that point. But, um, you know, you can hit, you know, in this particular case, we hit the wind shear two times in a row. And one advisory that they teach us at work for wind shear is, and this is actually on departure, but if there's any wind shear within the immediate area that's 15 knots or less, you should wait 15 minutes get in another evaluation, and then make a takeoff decision. If it's greater than 15 uh, knots of gust, then they advise you to wait a minimum of 30 minutes and then verify. So there's a lot that goes into looking at what's happening. And not all airports, at least not that I'm aware of, Carl, do you know is a low-level wind shear warning system is not necessarily at uh, at I mean, it maybe it's at more tower control. Obviously, it wouldn't be at non-tower. What do you know about that potentially? Yeah, there's there's quite a few out there, and they they keep getting better. But uh, there's, uh, for instance, uh, the other day I got a low-level wind shear warning, and you'll actually you can hear the bells going off in the background when right. the, the tower controller is is transmitting to you. And uh, yeah, they they actually have gotten better, and I think that what has has uh, become better is the number of uh, sensors that they have. Right. Uh, for instance. I had asked them what they were reading uh, when they gave the wind shear a uh, warning, and you know, in lieu of this this uh, podcast. And he said, "Well, he said that uh, at one end of the field, I'm showing it 40 knots in one direction. At the other end of the field, I'm showing 40 knots in the other direction. Wow! And at the center field, I'm I'm showing just just variable mm-hmm. uh, winds, which was really strange. And uh, so that that tells you something right there. That's a great." A great tool, and it's they are getting better with the windshield. Or excuse me, the windshield uh, advisory systems, and the, and they do work. I mean, they're they're terrific. All right. I, I think it saved saved us that day because uh, there was a bunch of us in line saying, "Whoa, no, thank you. That's an 80 knot shear. We're we're not going anywhere, <laughs> anywhere." You know? Right. Yeah. And the the low level wind shear system is basically a set of sensors installed at whatever airports have the equipment, and it does exactly what Carl says, and it just measures the wind at the specific station, and it basically compares them. And when you've got, in that instance, 40 knots in one direction, 40 knots in the other direction, well, that's not normal. And so the computer model calculates what's going on, gives you an alert, sort of tells you what's 
what's happening. So, you know, when you don't have that equipment, like Carl was saying earlier, not only checking your weather products, but looking outside and understanding where the weather is moving. Um, but Rick, how about, uh, you know, Carl's question, your experiences with uh, thunderstorms? Well, you know, I, I would say that mostly I'm so, you know, sort of careful and conservative at this stage that uh, <clears throat> fortunately I don't really have too many. I mean, I told you a little bit of one last time, which was the first half of my private check ride where mm-hmm. We were trying to finish up, or he wanted to get he wanted to get me checked off his list, the D, and um, and we went up to look around. Was his were his words, and straight ahead of us, it was just black. And so visually, I'd known some things were out there because we had checked it ahead of time, but then you know we saw it, and you know we landed and got the plane put away before just as I was finishing up, rain was hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only other time you know I've, I haven't done a lot of because my flights still are very local, you know, and uh, local destinations. But I did go to Oshkosh last year um, with with a friend, John Wellington, mm-hmm. and um, uh, on the way back, we you know we he's inspirated. We, we we climbed out through through clouds and uh, eventually got on top. But crossing uh, Lake Michigan. Um, the, the the clouds, you know, the, the storms were popping a little taller um, on that side of the lake. And uh, we ended up uh, asking for some adjustments to, to the route. And we had a weather radar with us. And we, you know, we kind of picked our spots. And they weren't, it wasn't a huge line. Uh, and it wasn't, they weren't ridiculously scary tall. And they were far enough away that, that we, you know, other than some bumps, we managed to kind of pick our way through uh, to, to get to the other side of that in Michigan. And that's about, that's about it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just very conservative with mm-hmm. it, um, mostly for a couple of reasons. One, I get how serious it is. And two, I kind of like, um, uh, you know, I like flying. Uh, you know, I want to challenge myself, but I also like it to be a nice day, you know, to be enjoying the right. visuals that you get from, uh, from the kind of flying mm-hmm. that I do. So, um so I really, fortunately, and I haven't really ever pushed the edges like that, or been, or been too terribly surprised, because it, there's a unless there's a, you know, I, I will say that too. It can seem nice, but if if I see a pattern of what seems to be um, it, sort of instability, like it's not a solid, you know, there's stuff popping, or they're thinking they might be, and even on those kind of days, um, I often won't push it very far uh, from the airport, or even go at all, just because I know I'd rather not, uh, you know, get stuck on the wrong side of something. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Victoria, how about any any issues, thunderstorms, your experience? So you actually well, had a pretty good trip recently down to Florida where you uh, got to got to learn how to go around things. Well, um, you know, I'm, I try to be conservative because no destination or appointment is, you know, worth risking your life for. Um, but we did have plans to go see the shuttle launch when after all this effort, it ended up being scrubbed and rescheduled. But um, we kept an eye on the weather in advance, and we knew it was going to be bad. So we left, you know, um, the night before versus the morning of, and it ended up taking us three days to get down to um, Florida when it usually takes about five hours. And that was because we were stopped by all these fronts that just seemed to be blocking our path every time. And, you know, we just monitored it for the safest moment and then took off to the next state and landed and monitored the weather again. And when it was safe, you know, we could keep that at least 20 miles away from the storms, then it was okay to go again. And, you know, it was exhausting and it was frustrating, but um, it turns out all those storms spawned, you know, several tornadoes and we could have been in them if we had been trying to rush to our destination. Mm -hmm. But I have seen a tornado uh, twice um, where I grew up in Michigan. And um, one, I didn't actually get to see the tornado, but I remember looking out 
our sliding glass doors and just all of a sudden seeing our heavy wooden table levitate on the deck and start coming towards the doors. And I, I'm always one who loves to watch storms. And that time I was like, okay, I think I'll go in the basement now. There's a door coming out my window. (laughs) I mean, sorry, there's a, um, table table. my window. Yeah. We don't want a door coming out my window. That would be even worse. Wow. But, um, my question for you though, since we were talking about thunderstorms and avoiding them, um, what are the best actions to take if you do find yourself stuck with no options i've always heard that if you find yourself in one it's best not to turn around and just ride through mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. yes and I, i'd have to agree with that is just you, you just want to keep your your you know turbulent air penetration speed you're you're not really going to be able to do that because your speed's going to be varying so you should before you actually get into a thunderstorm figure out you know what power setting would would actually uh bring that to speed to bear and, and in other words you would have this power setting and an, an attitude that you can hold and what you try to do is just keep the wings level and, and uh, don't don't try to pull, pull or push or too much just slowly change your attitude and mm-hmm. your heading because um, you know I'm sure Lan and, and I we both have been inside thunderstorms a few times and um, you know you can very quickly overstress the aircraft. You know, the most, the best thing you can do, of course, is make a 360 before you get into the storm. And if you are in the storm, like you were saying, it, it some usually is best just to ride that out and possibly uh, change your altitude and also tell the controller, listen, we need a block altitude. We're not going to be able to hold this. And, and I've done that before. Say, so, hey, listen, I need a couple thousand feet because I'm going up, I'm going down. And, uh, but just the biggest thing is don't overstress that aircraft. Yeah, and I think that one of the ways uh, to to add on to what Carl's saying, not stress the aircraft, would be to do exactly that. Request a block of altitude. Maintain safe control of the aircraft with a good speed, uh, you know, your, your safe turbulent air penetration speed. Don't worry about maintaining, you know, if you're at 6,000 feet, don't worry about it. Ride the waves up, ride the waves down, whatever you have to do to get through it safely, but just maintain control of the aircraft and keep it at a safe attitude and a safe speed. And yeah, that's a good point. Is that, is that uh, enough of an explanation, Victoria? You had other questions about that? or? Oh, yeah, for sure. I was just yeah, wondering right. your opinions on, you know, mm-hmm. what do you do if you do get stuck? Because, unfortunately, you know, sometimes there aren't always going to be an easy out. Hopefully hopefully not to get into one. That's the biggest thing. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's, that's a, hey, you, you know, there was one other thing, uh, Lan and Victoria, I think, mentioned. We were talking about wind shear. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the that's a, another thing as far as getting yourself into a wind shear. You know, what do you do? And, uh, again, you don't want to do too much. You don't want to do too much reconfiguring of your aircraft. You just, you just want to kind of ride it out. And just try as hard as you can not to stall the aircraft. Right. And there may be a possibility that on your way down during a wind shear experience, like Len was talking about, your main wheels might touch down. But that's mm-hmm. actually better than something else touching the ground. And uh, and further to that, the, you know, we talked about wind shear warnings, wind shear advisories in effect. 
there's a big difference in that and wind shear alert, by the way. And that's something I just wanted to yes. stress there. If they come out and say, hey, there's a wind shear alert, ooh, that should, you know, your ears should perk up because you right. get a lot of wind shear advisories right, out there. Right. But again, the same thing as riding out a thunderstorm, riding out wind shears. You know, it's it's uh, it's you don't want to do too much too fast, and I think that's that's one thing that most people do wrong. And you see that when you're doing aerobatics too. You know, someone's going you know pulling too fast. Like, whoa, 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 time out. You know, we're really loading up this airplane now. Let's let's slow down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But so well, you don't want to. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say that's where you you, you find most people getting into trouble, and that's uh, and they they sometimes come out the the bottom of that storm. And, you know, I've had a friend come out at the bottom of the storm in a, in a spin. Luckily, he was able to get out of that spin once he got on, you know, wow. you know beneath the storm and into VFR conditions. Because he couldn't figure out which way he was turning mm-hmm. until he got out. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's exciting. That was a lucky day <laughs> was, for him. I was scared just listening to him. <laughs> yeah, no joke. <laughs> wow. Uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, Victoria, what were you having to add there? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, um, you know, not all airports have this wind shear right. advisory and these advanced weather systems. It's all about, you know, your own understanding of the weather. You need to know what can cause wind shear and when to know to expect it. So you're constantly thinking that when you're on landing, hey, are these conditions right for, you know, maybe I should keep an extra power in or be aware, keep an extra eye on my speed. Yeah, that's a good point. I've I find myself having, uh, well, especially when teaching, having to, having to help students through moments with, now I'm going to, this will be referencing wind shear, not associated with thunderstorms, but just wind shear in the form of a sudden change in speed and or direction, which can, which can cause wind shear just as much as, uh, you know, as a thunderstorm. But a lot of times, it would, the best example for my students when showing them what wind shear was when you're going into an airport, that is generally shielded on maybe three or four sides with trees. And if it's a small rural airport, maybe uncontrolled, you'll find, you know, that the it's one of these 50-foot wide runways. The trees are very close. When you end up getting to that treetop level or just below, you lose all that wind speed instantaneously, and the airplane sometimes wants to sink out on you. So that's a good example of knowing not just what the weather itself is doing, but also recognizing other artifacts and surroundings around you that could cause wind anomalies where it may be changing speed or direction really quickly to cause some sort of adverse flight conditions. That's a good point, Lynn. You know, just to add to that real quickly, on uh, just today when I was landing here in Quebec, I... um, you know, we, we were, it was 15 gusting to 27, and, uh, you know, about a few hundred feet above the ground, we were, I had a, a little bit of airspeed, and sure enough, boy, we dropped about 10, 15 knots like mm-hmm. that. And uh, I was glad because of that, I, I was thinking ahead just like you did and said, hey, you know, this is ripe for some, some wind shear, you know, event to happen. Um, you know, my airspeed dropped, but it didn't go too far where I was getting close to a stall mm-hmm. because I was carrying those extra knots because I had thought in advance, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, think think about it. In other words, that's, I think, what we've all come, and that's why I wanted to ask people's scariest decisions, you know, scariest experiences with it, and, and what we learned is, is you need to think. And, uh, and unfortunately, as GA pilots, general aviation pilots, we don't have all this at our, our disposal at the airports we fly out of. We have to actually look outside and, mm-hmm. and use our noggin and use our heads and say, okay, yeah, this, this is a, a time to stay on the ground and I'm going to wait this out mm-hmm. uh, or I'm going to add some, some extra airspeed on my landing. Right. 
Yeah, unfortunately, that some of the new technology and equipment out there is is becoming better and more cost efficient for general aviation pilots to to help us make a better decision. But uh, Carl is exactly right with knowing what's going on, and if you you don't have all these, uh, I guess, quote-unquote toys, if you will, to show you what's going on when you're airborne and all the all the goodness that uh, you could be having that in-flight weather experience, then um, really understanding, you know, weather, I guess, is the biggest, uh, one of the one of the bigger things that you should do a, a good, diligent job of planning ahead of time so that you don't find yourself in an unfavorable situation. Our picks of the week. So, all right, well, uh, let's uh, move on to our favorite part of the show, the picks of the week. And uh, once again, the picks of the week is when each of the co-hosts shares a aviation-related product or service or website that they've used, uh, whether or not they find it useful or something that they've just stumbled upon, something that is worthy of being recommended and sharing. And uh, we'll go ahead with Rick first. What do you have to share with us today? Yeah, mine is a fun little thing that is not uh, nothing heavy, and and but I think people will appreciate it. I don't know if you've you've seen it, and I will just describe what it is and tell you how to get there. We'll put the link in the uh, in the enhanced uh, content of the show as well. Um, basically, someone sent me this link, and I don't know if you guys have seen it. Uh, you guys have seen it, but it's uh, to a website from a company called Martin Baker that makes ejection seats for um, jets and. <laughs> It, I will just tell you that what it is as you load this, and to find it, you can just Google the words Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, and then another word, Baker, B-A-K-E-R, and the first, the first thing that comes up is their homepage. And when you load it, it, it starts up, and when you just load the page. And this video is ultra-slow motion uh, video that lasts in its real-time duration 1.4 seconds of a back seat and then front seat cockpit ejection uh, on the ground. You know, it's a demo. And... It's ultra slow motion. And on the left is a clock that lets you see what the real time is when those events are occurring. And it is fascinating. There is so much that goes on in that 1.4 seconds when for both pass, both pilots to be ejected. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is fascinating to watch. And that's all I'll say is, is uh, and we'll put the link in, but Google uh, Martin Baker and watch that video. Uh, and then you can play it real time. And the real time, you know, <laughs> is like almost instantaneous. But the slow motion is fascinating. It's a lot... The people who figured out what to do to make that happen safely are—it's impressive. Mm-hmm. So that's wow. all. That's my—that's my quick pick. Great. Well, cool. I look forward to looking, checking it out. Carl, what do you got for us today, my friend? Oh, I have uh, actually something that uh, is really near and dear to my heart. It's a little bit of aviation history, and uh, you know we all need to, to know something about our aviation history and where we came, and as far as a country. And uh, this is a, a DVD, and it's a, a you know non Hollywood type DVD called Pappy Boynton Field, a campaign to honor a hero. And what this talks about is the struggle to honor our hero, Pappy Boyington. Now, as a, as uh, you know, years ago, as, as a kid, I used to watch uh, the Baba Black Sheep, and that was a show starring Robert Conrad about Pappy Boyington. And Pappy was a uh, World War II fighter pilot. And uh, one thing that that amazes me is here's a person who is an ace fighter pilot, who's a POW and a Medal of Honor recipient. And the town that he was born on, born in, which is Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, was a group that wanted to change the name to Pappy Boynton Field to honor him. And uh, there was a struggle that went on for years as far as trying to get the field named Pappy Boynton Field 
and uh, it uh, had to do a little bit with politics, local politics. But uh, during this whole uh, video, they go through both the struggle to name the field Pappy Boynton Field, but also they weave into there the the history and the the tale behind uh, Pappy, and uh, it was just really interesting. You get to listen to Pappy's son, uh, he him talk about uh, his father, and uh, it also uh, has some other guests on there. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about this is, again, it was a non-Hollywood type video. It was this person's first video that he put together. I'd love to hear uh, Rick's comments about this video because I know he's in that business. Yeah. And uh, there's uh, there's also some figures that, that show up, like Robert Conrad was actually in this video, and they were able to interview <laughs> him. And I just think it's so wow. cool that you have somebody who – this is his first documentary. He was able to get Robert Conrad, another person. You remember Mark Furman? Uh, he was during, during the trial with O.J. Simpson. Yeah, yeah. He actually, he's actually in this video. Wow. And I, I didn't realize he also was an ex-Marine. Uh-huh. And, and you know, there's a whole group of Marines. There's a thing called the Marine Corps League, which I didn't really know much about. I've seen them in parades. And uh, a lot of these, these folks that are in this video are part of that Marine Corps League. And you get to hear from Mark Furman, Robert Conrad, and you get to hear from folks that actually flew with Pappy Boynton. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, we're losing a lot of our World War II veterans. And uh, during this, uh, when I watched this video... Three of the folks that were actually in this video were, were no longer with us. So, you know, we're losing our, our World War II veterans. Their, their voices are becoming silent, but uh, this video will make their voices, I think, uh, last forever. So I'd have to give it uh, – yeah. for me, it's, it's a big five stars because I actually love the story. Uh, you could tell it's this person's first video, but I, I think he did a great, great job on that. And uh, there will be a link to, to the intro to that video. So hopefully you guys will get to see it, and I'd love to hear from you guys to hear what you think about it. Okay, we'll do. Great. And um, <laughs> Victoria, did you have a pick of the week to, to share with us? Yeah, I could. Um, I've had the honor of being um, a part of this pick of the week. Actually, it's called the Aviatrix Aerogram, and okay. what it is, it's an e-zine, um, kind of you know more aimed towards women pilots. But what's great about it is that you contribute. So it's not a bunch of, you know, writers that you've never met, you know, with all this experience. It's, it's everyday people writing about their flying experiences. And every month has a theme, but you can, you know, I'm going to go post. Hey, I just became a commercial pilot. You get a picture of yourself in there that says, you know, Victoria got her commercial pilot's license. Congratulations. You know, then someone might write about, you know, um, her recent experience at an air show and talk about that. And um, it's really personal, which is pretty great. And, again, it's called the Aviatrix Aerogram. Um, Fortunately, there's no web page for it yet, but if you message me and give me your email, I can make sure you get added to the email list. So anyone can contribute. I think it's really great. So you can see your name in print. (laughs) That's cool. uh, There's some people I know who... Who I will tell that you know tell them about that because you know there's a lot. My sense of it, as much as I can know, in my position as a as a guy, is that for women in aviation, it's there's a lot of stuff you got to fight against in terms of cultural and and other things in the systemic. That the idea of 
of uh, focusing something in that direction as a con contributory thing that you all add to and that's supportive of everyone. It just makes so much sense. It's great. Oh, it's, it's very supportive, you know, and if something for men and women were out there like that, that would be great, too. I'd be more than happy to contribute. It's, mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun to read what you wrote and then read what other people wrote. And, you know, they're just everyday people like you and me. Very cool. So I've had uh, recently had an opportunity to upgrade from an iPad 1 to an iPad 2. And in one of our previous episodes, we were kind of talking about ForeFlight. And I've only had the iPad 2 for a week now. But what I've noticed, particularly with ForeFlight, is that it's, com it's supercharged. Uh, specifically, especially when you're looking at the, the charts and the weather radar, it's, you know, leaps and bounds faster, even on the 3G network. So now, I just wanted to share that in, you know, in the most recent hardware upgrade that all of my aviation products on iPad 2 are, well, for instance, just supercharged. Uh, so that's my pick of the week if anybody has an opportunity to either upgrade or haven't had an opportunity to use or purchase an iPad. The new version is uh, much faster and handles the aviation software much better as far as I'm concerned. That's great to know. I mean, I, I have the first generation. I, I sort of made a choice to wait since I'd had this a while, and, and I'm going to wait. You know, I've been right. waiting, and I know that a lot of the software takes advantage of that new faster processor. But uh, it's interesting to hear that the aviation does stuff does specifically, and that might be enough reason for me to for me to do it. I just, um, but that's good to know because I had not heard that from anyone yet. But it totally makes sense. You're probably just the first one that has the comparative that I've talked to. So. Yeah, because I mean, I used it. Uh, the afternoon that I picked it up, I loaded ForeFlight on there. Actually, it was the day that the A380 came in for its maiden first airline service into Washington, Dulles, and we're out at the airport, and I was checking the weather, and I was using ForeFlight to look at the weather, and it was it was unbelievable. Like I, I couldn't believe how noticeable it was. Um, and for those of you out there, and maybe yourself as well, Rick, what I did, I just took my iPad 1, I threw it up on Craigslist, and I uh -huh. I was able to sell it for close to about 75% of wow. initial retail value that I bought it for a year ago. Um, that's so, cool. you know, that's an option. Well, there are some buyback services online, but I found... I I, ha I will say that I have developed a fairly robust internal family reprocessing uh, system <laughs> with uh, all Apple iProducts. So it, it doesn't save me money, but it does spread the wealth um, in hand-me-downs. There you go. So so I, I would have a purpose for it. So I'll have to look into that. Um, keep my eye on. I guess, well, we won't, we won't get into discussion of Apple products, but sometime we can offline. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of release dates and things. But, yeah, cool. I, I mean, it, it's great. I, I want to try it out for sure. Yeah, and I'll keep you guys updated here on the podcast, online and offline, uh, what other what other things I've noticed working better or more efficiently and, and give my, uh, you know, continually add my thoughts as I learn to use the, the products more and see how they're affected with the, the new generation hardware. Victoria will take any iPad hand-me-downs. There you go. Put that out there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Send your donations to Victoria. No, exactly. That's valid. I, I, I'm going to track that. That's cool. It's good. The after landing checklist. Awesome. So, uh, Carl, why don't you let the folks know how they can get a hold of you? Well, you can find me uh, in Twitter uh, at Expert Aviator, or you can find me at my website, ExpertAviator.com. Excellent. Rick. 
Cool. On Twitter, uh, rfelty. Uh, on uh, YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash rdfelty, D as in Delta. And, um, uh, and then um, uh, rickfelty.com is my blog. Awesome. And you've, you've just, uh, I think you said last time you just started using that to put more aviation-related content on there. Yes, I did. Okay. I did a little interesting post last uh, week or so ago that I just because it's something that I've been dealing with is the the no, the fly no fly decision and then second guessing yourself <laughs> that, you know, the sort of thing you go through where you where you change where you where you say now it's just not good for me to fly. And then you watch the skies for the rest <laughs> of the day, you know, and that whole thing. And I got a lot of interesting comments from people who, you know, it's fun to hear. And I'm sure you all have seen this with your media that you're doing social media that, you know, generally, if you have a feeling somebody else out there has it, too. Right. So that's the post that's up there right now. Excellent. Uh, Victoria, how can folks get a hold of you? Um, I'm uh, on Twitter as well at Toria Fly. It's Victoria, but without the Vic, Toria Fly. Um, and I also have a blog, Toria Flies, F-L-I-E-S dot blogspot dot com. Fantastic. And uh, just a reminder, I did forget to bring this up at the beginning of the show, folks, but this is an enhanced podcast. And what that means is if you are consuming this podcast audio session through iTunes, your iPod, iPad, or iPhone, if you look down on the screen right now, what you'll notice is there's images. And some of these images may contain a clickable link. So, for instance, earlier in the show when we were discussing thunderstorms, you'll see a picture of a thunderstorm, and you'll also see a link clickable to bring you out to a website resource that would describe thunderstorms and learning about thunderstorms. So, in the enhancements, once again, through iTunes, iPad, iPod, and iPhone, if you're using the uh, the podcast through one of those one of those devices, it's got enhancements that contain images and clickable links that make the podcast more interactive. So we hope that you've enjoyed learning about the new enhancements. Please give us your feedback if you've got any questions regarding how to use them. But uh, go ahead and take a look at your device right now. Notice what's going on and uh, keep that in mind next time you're watching one of our episodes. Can I, can I add to something we've conversation we've had? If for some reason a device you're using does not want to see those enhancements or use the files uh, that, that have the enhancements, the uh, show is available on our website as a, what, an MP3? Yes, download? as an MP3, correct. And if, it's, uh, if you visit the website on your computer, there's a MP3 enclosure that you can listen to directly right there on the website. If you're visiting from a mobile device... There is a link at the bottom of every blog post that specifically says, listen to mobile-friendly version here. And all you do is click on that link, and it will stream the MP3 live to your mobile device so that you can once again enjoy the content there uh, if you don't subscribe through iTunes or use it through one of the other iOS devices. So uh, if anybody's interested, uh, myself, again, if you were trying to reach me, I'm thepilotreport.com or on uh, Twitter at The Pilot Report. Also, we're on Facebook. So this has been episode number four of the Stuck Mike Abcast with all of us here this evening, Carl Valeri, Rick Felty, Victoria Nouvel, myself, Len Costa. We thank you all for listening. It's always a great pleasure getting together and recording these episodes for you. Visit the website stuckmikeavcast.com. We are also as a group on Twitter at uh, Stuck Mike Avcast and on Facebook. So once again, guys, thanks for uh, tuning in this evening. We wish you all clear skies and calm winds. Take care, everybody. 
You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Avcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Avcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa Production.